Philippians 2, 19-30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not only him on him, but also unto me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. morning. So we're continuing our journey through Paul's letter to the Philippians. And for the last couple weeks, we've been running with this metaphor that the Christian life is like a journey. And last week, we talked about the fact that the journey is hard. The journey is difficult. There are challenges to the journey. Two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that we need to walk this journey with fear and trembling. But today, we acknowledge the fact that the journey, it is hard and difficult, but it's not a solo journey. We don't walk it alone, that we have these fellow pilgrims, these fellow travelers, one another on this journey. And this journey affords us all these opportunities to come alongside each other and to love one another and serve each other and care for one another, just as as Mark was just mentioning. And so today, uh, what Paul does is he, he steps back from theology for a second and gives us uh, a very human picture of these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus. It gives us a glimpse into their lives. And this is known as the travel log or the travel itinerary of Philippians. A uh, couple of things to acknowledge right up front. At first glance, this is not wildly inspiring material. Um, I'm guessing none of your favorite verses in Philippians are found in this passage. Um, maybe I'm wrong. But uh, at first glance, doesn't seem that interesting. But, uh, you know, Preachers are always tempted to skip over these, these uh, verses and move on to chapter 3, which gets to some really amazing stuff. But I think on further look, you'll see there's some really beautiful things in these verses. And then the second thing to acknowledge is that at first glance, this seems out of place. Like Paul is giving practical plans to send somebody and to wait for someone else and then send him. And in every other letter, Paul always saves that to the end of the letter. He kind of gives his theology and his, his challenge to them. And then he says, here's some plans I have. And, and he throws that right in the middle of the letter. And at first glance, it seems like why you're doing theology, then you do this practical plan, then you go back to theology. Why here? And what you see is on further glance, uh, when you look more deeply into it, he's actually 
continuing exactly with the theme that he's been sharing with them, this theme of loving and serving. And he's giving us two concrete examples of people who do that. So just to remind you, if you go back to the beginning of chapter 2, take a look at the beginning of chapter 2. In verse 3, Paul says this. He's encouraging them to live the Jesus life. And this is what the Jesus life looks like. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. That's the picture. And then for the rest of the chapter, he gives us these living examples of people who live this life, beginning, most importantly, with Jesus in verse 6, who didn't look to his own interests, but looked to our interests. He gives his own example of pouring himself out for the community. And then at the end of the chapter, he gives us the example of Timothy, who looks out for the interests of uh, the Philippians, and then Epaphroditus, who almost lost his life in the cause of the gospel. So what he's doing is he's giving us these living examples of the kinds of principles that he's trying to encourage us, and he's putting flesh and blood on these, these ideas. And I think that's important. What I love, the, the Christian journey, you know, is the, 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 the Jesus life. In so many ways, it's more caught than it is taught, if you know what I mean, right? It's not just about these principles and ideas, but it's actually seeing it worked out in the flesh, seeing people live it out. And I would guess if we could share our journeys of faith with one another, some of the key moments wouldn't just be books that we read or or concepts that we heard or principles we put into practice, but I I would guess the, the really significant moments are actually people in our lives who came alongside us, who modeled a way of life, who cared for us in ways that changed us. And so today we're looking at two examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus. I'm going to speak just briefly about them. And then we're going to actually look at two examples from within our own community of people who are trying to do this. And I would be encouraging you throughout today to be thinking, who are the people in your life who God brought into your life, may have been 30 years ago, maybe right now, but people who God brought in and they have come alongside you and they've modeled this life of care and love and service to you. So I want you to just be, hopefully names are kind of popping up in your mind as, as we talk through uh, this passage. So let me talk you through Timothy and Epaphroditus and then we'll hear two stories from our own community. First, let's look at Timothy Uh, Paul talks about him in verse 19 through 24, and he sandwiches this passage uh, with plans, kind of his specific plans in in 19 and 23 and 24 about his plan is to eventually send Timothy to them so that Timothy can tell them how he's doing and see how they're doing. Uh, But right in the middle, right sandwiched in there is verses 20 to 22. You get these three verses that are, are this beautiful description of this man, Timothy, that we hear about in other parts of the New Testament. And I just want to sit with these three verses uh, for a moment. Look at verse 20. Look at this description of this man. Paul says, For I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Paul talks about Timothy's concern. That, That word, the Greek word for concern, is actually a word that sometimes has a negative connotation of anxiety. So in chapter 4 of Philippians, Paul will say, don't be anxious for anything, right? Be anxious for nothing. 
Here it has a positive connotation of this real concern for other people. The idea being, Timothy really feels the weight of your lives. He cares about you. He's thinking about you. It's weighing on him. How are you doing? And he describes that concern as, in my translation, as a genuine concern. His, his concern, it's the real thing. He really, truly cares for you. And I was thinking this week, you know, we live in a culture here in Southern California where it's really common to fake concern for other people, right? We kind of, it's just kind of what we do, right? How are you? How are you doing? I'll be praying for you. You know, we can just kind of, we know this game, right? We know this game. It's easy to fake concern. It's funny, I was on a trip a couple weeks ago uh, with some pastors from the northeast of, of our country, so like like states like Maine and Connecticut and Vermont, there are church planters in that part of, of the country. And I was asking them, you know, what's the culture like there? And what, what, what I was struck with is uh, basically there, what they're saying is, yeah, um, they don't fake concern as much in that part of the country. They don't fake concern, meaning like they're actually not as initially friendly. Uh, but... Once they get to know you, once they get to trust you, you're in. And they can be the most faithful friends. But they don't fake concern as much. We do a pretty good job of faking concern in uh, Southern California and in the church culture especially. And so it's so refreshing when you come along people who it's obvious they have a genuine concern for you. They, they really care how you are. And, and Paul's saying Timothy is that kind of guy. And then there's this really poignant verse. Look at verse 21. Look at what he says. (laughs) For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. (laughs) It's sort of a sobering blanket statement about the way the world generally is. The way that the human heart, apart from a work of the Spirit of God, generally is. We tend to naturally Look out for our own interests. It just comes naturally. We tend to pursue our own things and we tend to look for recognition for ourselves. We go after our own comforts and that's just natural. And and, and in in the midst of all that needing to get our own things, we tend not to as naturally look out for the interests of others. Uh, I've been really uh, convicted personally uh, this week and really this whole year uh, God has me on this journey. I shared this a little bit a couple weeks ago, but uh, towards the beginning of last year, I really felt like God was pressing this theme into my life. And the theme was really a theme of compassion, of him saying, I want you to lean into broken lives around you uh, more intentionally. I- I'm inviting you to join me because I'm there with people who are going through hard times. And I want you to come alongside me and love people. I want you to enter in more fully into the, the hard things and to love well. And it was a very clear theme. It was, I can remember when it happened and then God started just throwing broken lives at me <laughs> left and right, just more than usual for me. Not that they weren't always there, but they were coming my way. And, um, and I'm about eight months into this and it's been really hit and miss for me personally in terms of watching my own response to that and my own genuine love and care for people. My, my ability to sustain care for people week in and week out, to, to hold them in my mind, hold them in my prayers regularly. And I've just seen my own, my own brokenness in that and my own, you know, I'm, it's, it's hit and miss week to week. And that's just, that's natural to the human heart, I think. 
And Paul is, is giving us Timothy as an example. Timothy, his heart has been changed by the love of Jesus that's freed him from this need to worry about his own interests. It's freed him to actually look above that and go, I can attend to you. And I can think, what is it that you need? What are your interests? How can I love you? He's, he's a great example of that. He looks out for the interests of Jesus, which clearly in the context practically means looking out for the interests of others. And then look at one more description of, of uh, Timothy. I love uh, verse 22. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. That word proved is a great, it's a great Bible word. It, it refers to something that has gone through testing and has come out the other end of testing being shown as genuine. It's usually applied to our faith. Like when we go through trials, that our faith is tested so that it can be refined and strengthened through adversity. In this case, it's being approved to Timothy and his, and his ability to serve people. And Paul's saying, he, he has he proven. And he says, you know that he has proven. Okay? Timothy was part of the founding of the church in Philippi. He was there in the beginning. He stayed with them. He lived with them. And so they have seen his proven character and the ways that he has given his life to love them and to serve them and to care for them. And I said, that's a great, that idea of provenness is a great idea in friendships. You know, we, we have all sorts of people in our lives, right? Some we consider casual friends, some we consider acquaintances, and we know what that's like. But then we have those few who we would describe as proven friends. They're proven because they have been with us when we've walked through some time of challenge or adversity or pain or grief grief in our lives, and they were the ones who stuck with us through the time, or maybe even conflict in our, in our friendship, but they stuck with us. They were the ones who prayed with us, who continued to reach out to us, maybe when others kind of forgot about us, who would call us, who would text us, who would meet with us, who would help in very tangible, practical ways, and their friendship and their character is now proven. They're not friends on paper. They are the real thing in this journey of life. They are our faithful companions, our, our co-travelers together. And, and Paul is saying, Timothy is that kind of guy. Genuine interest. He looks out for your interests. Uh, our genuine concern for you. Looks out for your interests. He is proven to you. Great picture of this man. And then Paul goes on to talk about Epaphroditus. And this is really all we know about this guy in the New Testament. We get a little bit in chapter 4, but other than that, we don't know anything other than what we get here. But I want to just remind you of the, of the background of what happened here. So I'll give you, um, I'm going to give you this map. Um, so if you look up in the top, in the middle there, you see Philippi up in the top middle uh, in Macedonia, Greece area. Um, and then you have over in the top left is Rome and Italy. So Paul and Timothy founded the church in Philippi. Paul is now in Rome, most likely, we think. He's in prison. We know that for sure. And what happened was the, the Philippians have been these, these great supporters of Paul's ministry. They've been financial partners with him. And they, you read in like 2 Corinthians, they gave sacrificially to Paul's ministry. So they have collected this gathering of, uh, of financial gifts that they're going to give to Paul. And they need someone to deliver them. And so you've got uh, this guy, Epaphroditus, um, named after the Greek god Aphrodite. 
Um, clearly, he probably has a pagan origin, but at some point, he heard about the truth of Jesus, and he's become a Christian. He's one of, he's one of the members of the church. We don't know if he's in leadership or just one of the dudes in the church. But he, he says, hey, I'll take, this, um, I'll take this gift to Paul, and he's going to, to bring the gift, and also to serve Paul and just be with him, encourage him in what he's doing. And so we don't know the details, but what most scholars think, based off of what we're about to read, is that he sets off. Uh, on this journey. It's about 750 miles. So he would cross over Macedonia and take a ship over to Italy and then up to Rome. At some point in this journey, he gets ill, really ill. Uh, So much so that prudence would have dictated that he uh, probably go back, return, and recover at home, and maybe someone else could take the gift. Uh, Again, this is what we are guessing what happened. But what seems to happen is... um, He wants to see this thing through. And so he continues on this 750-mile journey, and he makes it uh, to Paul, and he almost dies in the process. But he gets there, and he recovers, most likely in Rome. And somehow, word came to the Philippians that he got sick. We don't know exactly how that happened, but they find out that he got really sick, but they don't know what the result was. Did he get better? Did he get healed? They just found out he's sick. And so now uh, he's in Rome, and Paul wants to send him back rather than have him stay longer so that they'll know he's okay, he's alive and well. So that's the background, all right? So let me, let me read to you with that, with that background in my mind. Let me reread some of these verses. Let's start at verse uh, 20. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. And look at this description. My brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. I love that. This guy is my brother. Notice just the relational, the camaraderie of this. He's my brother, right? Um, a guy named after the Greek god Aphrodite. But he's my brother. We, we have the same heavenly father. We've both been adopted into God's family, Jew and Gentile together. He is my co-worker, right? We are, we are co-laborers, laboring side by side for the sake of the gospel. He's a fellow soldier. We're in this spiritual battle together to advance the gospel, to stand our ground, and he is, he is one of my fellow soldiers in this. You just feel this sense of partnership and camaraderie and, and love and connection between these two men. And let me just read to you the rest of the passage again. For he longs for you. This is why he's sending him back. He longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give to me. So I I love this, uh, just this description, sweet relational community. Verse 26, he longs for you. He so badly wants to see you all and he is distressed. It's a strong word. Why is Epaphroditus distressed? He's distressed because they're distressed about his health. 
Okay, so there's like this circle of distress and care in this passage. You have, you have the, the Philippians who are distressed about Epaphroditus, and he's distressed because they're distressed, and Paul's distressed from the whole thing. And so he wants to solve all of that by sending Epaphroditus so everyone will be okay. Okay, but it's this beautiful just circle of care and concern and thinking about the other person. It's a great example of on, on everybody's part. And so I just, you know, again, you can read right past this stuff, but it's just this beautiful picture of, of the give and take of Christian fellowship, right? So you have, on the one hand, you've got the Philippians who have, who have sacrificed financially. They're not a particularly wealthy church, you'll read in 2 Corinthians, but they have given a lot and sacrificed to bring this gift to Paul. You have Epaphroditus who risks his life to make this long journey to actually be the representative of the Philippians to Paul. And then, if you, of course, you have Paul himself who risked his life to plant the church in the first place. If you remember, he got imprisoned in Philippi for preaching the gospel. So you have all these people who are considering each other and, and, and sacrificing what they have for one another. It's this beautiful camaraderie. And really, that is how the Jesus life works. When his love gets inside of us, it begins to slowly free us from our own selfish needs and frees us to step beyond that and look out so that we can actually care for one another and help one another in what we need from one another. That is the Jesus life. And so Paul gives us these two great examples of the Jesus life. He says in verse 29, honor people like this. And today, that's what we're doing. We're honoring people that live that way. We're honoring Paul. We're honoring Timothy. We are honoring Epaphroditus. And now, we're going to share two stories from within our own community of people who have experienced this kind of love and service to them. I imagine if I asked everyone in this room, if I said, tell me a story of, of someone along your journey who has come alongside you and been this a very tangible expression of the love and care of God to you. I bet all of us would have stories to share. Some of them may go back 40 years. Some of them may be happening right now. But that's the question I asked uh, from two members of our church. And they're now going to share their story. And and this is as a way of honoring people like this. So I'm going to begin with Mike Mitchell, who has been around here for a while. And um, I asked Mike, not knowing what his story would be, but I asked him because Mike has been a great example to me of a man who does this. I've watched the way he spends his time, and he just comes alongside other guys and gets to know them and tries to encourage them, sometimes mentor them. And so I thought, I assume that was modeled at some point in his life. So without knowing whether there was a story there, I said, I would love to hear who has been that for you. And he said, I think I have a story. And this is the story. Good morning. There's a man that came into the life of our family who we simply call Dr. Jim. We met when our church formed a home fellowship and he was assigned to lead. Little did we know that the role he would have in our lives 30 years later would be great. Dr. Jim served as a mentor and a friend to me and my family with a measurable impact by always being available, intentional, and prayerful. Dr. Jim and I forged a friendship that continues to be rich. 
He spent time with me, consistently mentoring me through life situations and applying God's word, and many times speaking to me through his life example. If circumstances warranted, Dr. Jim would physically be with me even if it was inconvenient. He took the time to help me be a better husband, father, but more importantly, he earned the trust of my three sons. Dr. Jim gave my boys a sense of depth and trust they could confide in. My son James says this, When you're with Jim, he will challenge you and he will pray with you. Dr. Jim was there for us, even the most trying circumstances. And trust me, when I tell you, there was plenty of them. From a difficult illness with my wife Heidi to advice on finding the right church after a move, Jim was always available for counsel. The most pressing example was when my wife and I, Heidi, and I had a marital crisis. Dr. Jim and his wife were, were there for us. We had moved to Portland, and they emptied their schedule to fly up and personally help us stand and stand with our family. He spent time with us individually asking honest and hard questions about our relationship. And after every conversation, he prayed with us. Even if it might have been easier to give up on us, he never did. Dr. Jim confronted me on areas where selfishness, pride, and fear had crept into my life. The time he spent with both Heidi and I provided us a starting point and a path to forgiveness and reconciliation. He continued to check in on me at least once a week and was not afraid to speak strong words of truth. He utilized the sword of God's word to correct and instruct me. He gave us hope and direction. Our marriage and family forged ahead seeking the will of God. Dr. Jim and I eventually separated by geography and circumstances, but we always stayed in touch. Jim was deliberate in maintaining contact. Oddly enough, he called me his Timothy, and he called my sons young Timothys. Years later, my oldest son, James, had a medical crisis. He, we, reached out to Dr. Jim, who once again made himself immediately present, spending time and effort to help us spiritually, physically, and mentally in the difficult time. He spoke to James many times after, from vocational help to family planning. Dr. Jim became a go-to mentor for my oldest son, and the relationship still strives. My second son, Jared, has three reasons he seeks mentors, spiritual, personal, and business. He said in Dr. Jim, all, case, all three cases apply. Jared's first job is out of college was working directly for Dr. Jim. A few years ago, with a thriving business growing beyond what he could manage, after he started his own business, Jared reached out to Dr. Jim in his retirement and asked for his skills to help with vital restructuring that would allow growth to continue. This partnership was a real blessing to both of them. Jared learned from Dr. Jim to do the job well with integrity and how to lead. Jared remembers many of his wise sayings. For example, words are like fish, they leave no footprints, or squeeze pennies and dollars will follow. These may not be in Proverbs, but they very well could be. A key point about Dr. Jim is he didn't always have the answers, but he was willing to faithfully walk through the issues with us. 
So when I look back on the impact of Dr. Jim had on my life and the life of the Mitchell family and to ask how he was able to do it, a few things come to mind. I alluded to him, them earlier. Jim was available, whether it meant hopping on a plane or taking a 2 a.m. phone call from my sons. It didn't matter. Second, Jim was intentional. Rather than passing time with small talk, Jim asked challenging, scripture-centered questions with the goal of facilitating spiritual growth. Third, Jim was prayerful. Rarely did a conversation begin or end without prayer. Dr. Jim is currently going through chemotherapy for a second bout of cancer. In the midst of this trial, he is transparent and vulnerable. As he struggles, our family makes it our goal to love Jim the same way he loves us. The assignment Pastor Dave gave me asked if there was some person who played that role in my life at some point, someone who came alongside me at a particular season of my life and took a a genuine interest in me and cared for me and served me and pointed me to Christ in meaningful ways. Dr. Jim was exactly that, but not just for one season. He was that generationally. Thanks. I think of that word proven. Uh, There's proven friendship right there over the years and across generations. So, so great. Thank you for that, Mike. Now we're going to hear from someone who has had this experience, not uh, over generations, but in a a fairly intense period of time over the last year. So Rebecca and Joe Ortiz, many of you know them, and they've been through a really challenging year, eventful year, and have had people come alongside them in the midst of that. And Becca's going to come up and share her experience of that and how people have loved and served her well through that. Good morning. Um, <clears throat> thank you so much for this opportunity. Um, I, when Christina and asked me if I would share, she, that immediately came to her mind because of getting to watch a little bit of our story. Someone came to mind specifically who goes here to our church and has been such a help to me through this time. About a year ago, I was pregnant with our third little girl, Rosie, um, about now it would mark a year that we found out that there were some complications with the pregnancy. It was late in my pregnancy that I found out, so we didn't really have a lot of time to process um, potentially having uh, special needs, or we at the time we weren't even sure she'd be able to live. Um, so when she was born um, almost a year ago, our life took a huge turn. I have We have two other children, Samuel and Elizabeth, who are six and two. So if you can imagine what life is like, you have to be at the hospital every day for two and a half months. She was in the NICU. Um, she was born with paralyzed vocal cords and at two weeks of life had to have a trach put in and a G-tube. Um, still no diagnosis, still no um, genetic reason why. So we're thrown into this whirlwind and um, I want to thank so many people, not just this specific person, Sarah, who came into our lives, but um, the church I've been waiting, and Christina knew how much I wanted to share my thoughts and my thankfulness because 
um, you all poured out so much love and encouragement in words, and I would get text messages from people I didn't know just from hearing our story, and it was so encouraging. And um, But specifically in this circumstance, um, a longtime lifetime friend, Sarah, who God put a mile down the street from us. She, we lived, grew up in South Bay, and she ended up down the street from us, and she was able to come alongside us, and she's a nurse, as are my husband and I. So Rosie was specifically put in our lives for a reason. But um, she was able to come alongside us and not just uh, the normal, just how are you doing in prayer. And she would take my kids every day for me. Um, my two-year-old went to her just as much as she went to me because she was there every day. She would bring food. She organized food trains. She organized clothing for Rosie because she has a trach. She needed special clothing, and I couldn't necessarily find it. And um, one time at 3 in the morning, our power went out, and you never think about that until you have a a child that needs suctioning every minute to five minutes, and you need power. So I called Sarah at 3 in the morning, and she answered the phone and said, yes, come down, and put me on the couch for however long we needed, me and the nurse. So other things um, she's done, I've had a couple scary, we get our alarms on our phone if Rosie's oxygen levels drop below 80%. um, And I was up in L.A., and it's happened a couple times where I'd get a red alarm on my phone, and there's a nurse with her, but of course I want to be there. And I've called Sarah, and she's been able, I'm on my way. She's answered both times this has happened. And so in something so scary, like, it's just been so amazing to have someone, like a sister, who's there to go and be a second me. And um, that's what she's done. She's rearranged her life every weekend or every day to help me with my life and what we're going through right now. And not just Sarah, but a lot of people. And um, we're humbled and we're so grateful for that, that the church... I grew up in the church, and I know what it's like to live in community, but to actually receive is hard, and um, it's been so humble. I mean, humility, you know what I'm trying to say. It's humbling, and it's been so overwhelming to see that come back to us and to need it. It's hard to need it and not necessarily want to need it, but it's there, and uh, people have been amazing and we felt so loved, and Rosie is so loved, and she's doing well. She's developing slowly, and she still has a trach, and we won't know. It's a huge question mark, so we're just waiting and trusting the Lord and receiving a lot of help on the way. So thank you very much. Ah, so appreciate that. It, it uh it is hard to give love well, and it's hard to receive love sometimes. It's hard. Um, Becca said something about Sarah. She rearranged her life, you know, to meet my needs. I thought, that's, what a, wow. She rearranged her life. That is, that is the Jesus life being, being lived out. So the Christian life is a journey, and we get to do it together. We have these faithful companions Along the way, the world says that this journey is a rat race <laughs> towards power, towards recognition, uh, towards being celebrated. And, and the people that are acknowledged in the culture, that are celebrated in the culture, are usually the powerful and the wealthy and the talented. They'll be celebrated tonight, not that that's a bad thing, but people that are noticed. Uh, but the Jesus life, 
there is this, uh, the, the Jesus life frees us from the rat race to slow down enough to look around us and to love one another. And, and the heroes in the Jesus life are these unsung men and women, boys and girls, who may go unnoticed, who may not be seen, but who just love in small, mundane, but beautiful ways every day. That's the kind of life that we're invited into as a community. Let me pray for us. What I'd like to do right now is just give you a moment. You've heard a lot of stories, examples, uh, to just sit with this with God. And, and with God, just remind yourself, who are those people that God has put in your life uh, throughout the years? Who've been those ones who just came alongside, were these very tangible expressions of God's love for you. They were, they were the hands and feet of Jesus. They, they walked with you. They noticed you. They saw you. They cared for you. They challenged you. They prayed with you. Who are those people? And, and what I want to encourage you to do is just in prayer, just spend a minute identifying those people and thanking God for them because he's the giver of all good gifts ultimately. So just take a moment just thank God for the names that pop up in your mind over the next minute. And one invitation for you, and that might be to, to thank someone explicitly this week. To maybe go back to one of those people and just say thank you. This might be someone who you haven't talked to for 15 years, but write them a letter or give them a call or send them an email. Just let them know what, what their care for you meant. And then also uh, in prayer, uh, I would encourage you just to take a moment with God to ask, God, who, who are the people right now that you're calling me alongside? Who are the people that you want me to, in, in a more intentional way, come alongside to care for them, to notice them, to love them, to listen to them, to pray with them, to offer very practical support, whatever it might be. Um, just take a moment. Maybe God impresses on your heart. You know, There's one or two people in this particular season where you feel like God would say, I want you to, I want you to walk alongside them more closely. Just take a moment to consider that. God, thank you that your love 
is not something that's just abstract or some idea. But thank you that you sent your son in the flesh to love us with hands and feet. And thank you for all the people you send into our lives that are these very tangible expressions of your love for us. Help us to be those tangible expressions to others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.